Listen and subscribe to the GrowthCraft Startup Community Podcast on all the major podcast players, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere where podcasts are available. And leave a five-star review if you like it. We need those reviews to grow the show, and it's the easiest way to help us grow the show that you can do right now. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Podcasts or Spotify, and leave a five-star review for the GrowthCraft Startup Community Podcast. And tell all of your friends who are entrepreneurs to take a listen. And thanks. Hello, my name is Hassan Sorrells. This is Tom Libby. And you are listening and, of course, watching the GrowthCraft Podcast. The GrowthCraft Podcast is designed with the startup founder in mind. This podcast is committed to growing your connections to our GrowthCraft advisors, increasing your engagement with the GrowthCraft community, and growing your knowledge about the benefits and awesomeness that GrowthCraft can provide. We can't wait to bring you along on our journey today. Here on the podcast, we interview startup founders, advisors, mentors, and others about their journey, their process, their projects, and where they are going with what they are doing. And I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, one of the Growth Craft Advisors, Chris Ball. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing all right. Excellent. So very first question out of the gate, just so folks can get an idea of who you are and what do you do. What is it that you do exactly? So I can't, I can't hear that without thinking of office space. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start there. Um, and we're off and running. <laughs> and we're off and running. <laughs> and just like that, I'll we're just off leave the it rails. at that. I mean, that's all I need to say. For the entire, <laughs> that was it. That was the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So Echobind, uh, we build. So first of all, I am CTO and co-founder of Echobind, and at Echobind, we build custom web and mobile apps for a variety of companies. And so that could be small two-person startups that are just getting started. That can be companies that have been around for years. That can be large household names like Teladoc and Axios and Univision. So we've done a lot of different types of work. And I think that's one of the interesting things about what we do is we can apply all of those different learnings across different industries and things. So um, at the company, we have three departments. We have strategy, design, and engineering. And sometimes we build the entire product from scratch using all of those pieces. And sometimes we just help existing companies in certain areas and it might just use our designers or it might just use our strategists or engineers. So Chris, can you, can you elaborate just a little bit for those people who are not um, elbow deep into the industry, right? When, when, cause there's a lot of confusion that I hear when people say we're a mobile or we're a web application company or we're a software development company or because like, a lot of people think it's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. So could you elaborate just a little bit on like, so EagleBind develops product or service or, or software for other companies, but can you, what does that dividing line look like? Or how do I, how do you identify what the difference is? I, like for those of us who don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it can be an internal tool. So like we've worked on an app that is for a company that does uh, furniture manufacturing and it's to manage their entire process. And so it's essentially a custom calendar with lots of different smarts around it. And, you know, so it's a way of like tracking things, but it's a full, that's a web app in that case. 
Um, what we don't do, like sometimes it's better to explain what we don't do. So we don't typically do like the typical WordPress style, build me a website. So it's more of what is an, what is an app? What does a web app mean? And so that's where you're thinking of, you know, um, there's a strange example of that, which is something like Facebook, which is an app and a site, but it's not, you know, so think of more of like a marketing site versus a platform where people can do a bunch of stuff. And so um, we try to draw the line for most of our stuff, not all of it, but most of it as it is an app that lives on the web or on mobile. And depending on what you're trying to do, you might not need it. There's so a lot of times people say like, oh, I need a mobile app just to be in the app store. So if you go to the app store, you download something that's your mobile app. Um, but you don't, you don't always, you know, so it just depends on exactly what problem you're trying to solve as to which kind of path we go down and which, what we recommend doing. Um, but really it's just, it's creating that sort of custom, um, you know, that, that custom app that lives either on the app stores in case of mobile or on a, on the web. Um, but less of just a place where you go to learn just basic information about a company. So it's less of that kind of marketing site. So I like this idea that you mentioned about um, <clears throat> what problem are you seeking to solve, right? Um, so for you, what problem were you seeking to solve with with EcoBind? Like, what are, why did you, why are you doing this? You know, what's the impetus here? What was your path um, to uh, to this project? Because I know, I know, little Chris Ball when he was six wasn't saying, "Hey, I'm going to go found a company," <laughs> probably, or maybe he was. I I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, so first of all, Echobine, which no harm, no foul. It's all good. Echobine, got <laughs> but, it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, really, uh, for me, I was working at a startup in 2012. So I started I started at the startup in 20, 2007 mm -hmm. um, and worked there for quite a while in terms of startup time. You know, mm -hmm. five years is kind of long for a startup stint, typically. Mm -hmm. um, I started there and just I've always wanted to run my own company. It's always in the back of my mind. So it wasn't quite, you know me at six years old saying it necessarily. Uh, the first kind of intro to that stuff, it's like dabbling in computer games and figuring out how they all work and, you know, trying to figure out like, well, how do you, you know, how do you program essentially? Mm -hmm. So creating, you know, the TI-83 calculator stuff and that snake game, if everyone, I don't oh, know, yeah. maybe that's oh, yeah. age in addition no, to no. office space. <laughs> but, you know, that's, but, that's you know, that, that's the kind of thing. I'm like, how does this work? And, you know, how do you make it? And so I figured out how to do that. But anyway, um, skipping a long time, I was at that startup and said, you know what? I just want to run my own company. I happened to get a, just put some feelers out and landed a 30 hour a week contract. And I said, you know what? If I'm ever going to start a company, I have a 30 hour a week contract for three months. That's a pretty good jumping off point. Mm -hmm. And so that my worst case scenario, my fallback was like, you know, if this totally crashes and burns, I can just go back and be a developer at another company. So to me, it was like I had enough of, of, of a fallback that it was like pretty low risk, really, um, as so long as I could like make it work. And so basically, I just started adding subcontractors slowly to that account. And that turned over time officially into EchoBind at kind of 2015. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, I want to ask a question about managing people. I want to go into that a little bit. But Tom, you look like you've got a thought. I always have a thought, right? So was it, was it this that gave it away? It was, it was yeah, that right? that gave it away. That, that's my, that's my, that's my, that's a, for those of you who are not watching this on video and you're just listening, that's my cue to Hassan going, Hey, mm -hmm. I got I get the next one. <laughs> Can't wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, kidding aside though, it's, you know, so, but, but 
I guess, I guess for me uh, to, to add to Hassan's question really is like, you know, when he asks, so what prompted you to want to start your own company? What, what was the catalyst of it though? Like what, what made you think now's the time I, I, I need to do this now. And, and did you know that you wanted it to be a big company or were you just thinking I'm going to stay a consultant level and just kind of do my own thing? And, and I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of Hassan's thunder there with the managing of people, but you can ask it more specifically, but adding people's a big deal, right? Like an individual consultant and doing running business on your own, like being by yourself is, is, is one thing. And I wasn't sure if that, like, that that was your original plan. And then it just, just turned into something else or was that the plan to turn no, into it wasn't. Something? So it's, it's funny because it's so the catalyst to actually push go was definitely that contract. That was like, I'm good. I can try this. Um, so the interesting thing is for a long time, we said like, we're not, XYZ big agency. Like we are, we kind of leaned into that whole, like we are three people, <laughs> you know, and like, that's, that's, that's fine. Like we're not trying to show that we're bigger than we are. Um, at a certain point, what we started doing is saying that contractors were full timers and make our about page look a little bit bigger. Um, but still that's saying like, you know, a team of five, you know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where, um, the goal was not absolutely not that and not to, you know, I never wanted to be this like thousand person agency really. So it's, it turns out that the, the middle ground is actually a really interesting place to be because a lot of times as things grow, the quality drops a lot and people, I mean, I've had countless stories of people coming and saying like, Oh, you know, we were going to work with this really large company and like things seem great, but then like the actual end product just wasn't. And so I think just kind of like that allowed us to kind of position a little bit. Um, but no, it actually, um, it was just designed to be small and just kind of run initially. <laughs> and then it's like, you know what, I think we can make this an actual company. And I think we can actually figure out how to grow this thing. Um, but it's a, it's a very, very different, like you said, operating in that mode than it is just when you're by yourself or you're with one or two other people, like the way that you plan things, the way that you set your rates, the way that you like, everything is so different. Um, and then Managing people is an interesting one. So I'll try and kind of go to both of those. Um, we started off with absolutely no managers. Um, everyone we hired was extremely experienced to start. Um, and then over time, we've played around with different types of models because you want, you want to hire people that have lots of experience. You want to hire people that have some experience that you can help grow over time. Um, but you can't, you have to strike the right balance and you can't have people that are too inexperienced and, you know, and you can't have people that are, all full, you can, you can, you, you can do models where people are fully, you know, senior and extremely experienced, but what that does is that drives your rate a lot higher. And so what we want to do is find the right balance to keep the quality and all of that. Um, and the interesting thing is that for a very long time, we had everybody just self-managing. And then we had a period where we said, you know what, um, we've grown to a size of about 30 people and that's no longer sustainable. And so what we did for a while there was to, we hired engineering managers. We we're starting with engineering because that's our biggest department and um, tried to see how that would go. And it went pretty well, we thought. Um, and interestingly enough, we moved back away from it. And because it became this thing where, and it's not to say that that's inherently a bad choice. It's just, it didn't work for our company. Um, it created this extra layer that we felt you know, everyone throws around like GitHub is famous for throwing around like flat organization. They did that for a very, very long time. And we sort of like drifted starting with that and then, you know, a little away from it and then a little more toward back towards it. 
and looking for the right balance. And so it's not to say that you can't have any managers by any stretch and you have to have people leading the company, obviously. But what we were trying to make to get away from is kind of the just department specific manager. And so far, that switch has worked well, really well for us, actually. Um, which is, again, not to talk bad about the people that were in that position. It's just the actual need. It wasn't the right fit for what for us. So we are more towards a flat organization, but not fully at this point. Yeah. When you did that, that's part of what I was going to ask you about the people pieces. Are you flat? Are you, are you a triangle? Are you, more, you know, sort of what are, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, <clears throat> but one of the other things that strikes me as you're talking is a lot of what's happening. It sounds like what's happening in the back end at, um, at Echo Bind is the, it's similar to a lot of what I see externally anyway at Basecamp. Now I've never worked with Basecamp um, at all. I don't know anything about their internal structure. I just know what they publicly put out there. That's it. Um, but you know, they're writing books, they're making podcasts, they're, you know, going around advocating both the founders are for this sort of flat structure. And it seems as though in the developer space, <clears throat> you kind of really only have those two options. You can either be flat or you can be a hierarchy. Yep. Um, is that something that's innate to just having a developer-based company that started by a developer or is it th that you're seeing in your opinion, or is that just sort of a project by project, company by company, name of the game? I'm asking you to kind of go at a 50,000 foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's easier to back <clears throat> into that in the developer kind of ecosystem. And yeah. the reason I say that is that as you get more and more experienced, you deal with wider and wider problems such that you can run projects by yourself essentially hmm. and i think that inherently leads you to be able to self-manage a lot easier okay so i also think that applies to non-developers as well i just think people aren't as they don't make the jump as quickly so i think i absolutely think that you know designers should work the same way i think someone that's extremely experienced with marketing could work the same way i imagine there's probably probably positions where it wouldn't work at all. But um, I don't think it's it's limited to just developers or engineers, but it's like, it's something that I think comes a lot easier kind of to your point, yeah. Okay. When we think about um, your approach to um, developing your project, and when we think about your approach to working with people and when we think about your approach even to working with clients. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we've done here at GrowthCraft is we've invited in advisors like yourself um, with you know varied backgrounds that can help startups at every stage of the game, right? Mm -hmm. um, and can help them get to where it is that they want to go. That's the broad brush idea of the GrowthCraft startup community. Um, tell us a little bit about what attracted you to our community. Um, why you've stuck with us, um, and and how you work with um, with uh, startup founders, you know, who were like yourself in 2015, you know, who are ready to take the plunge or ready to jump off a cliff or however you want to frame it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a parachute. You're yeah. a parachute, right. Building, well, just, I always remember it as building a parachute on the way down, but yeah. exactly. exactly. <laughs> it just depends yeah. on the day on whether or not they're jumping off the cliff. Or the <laughs> sure. Um, so it's interesting, like community has always been big to me. I've, I've run multiple, they were programming, you know, focused meetups, but like I've run meetups before in the past and just getting out, um, I'm based around Boston. And so just kind of getting out in the community and seeing people and getting involved with startups, like community is a big thing. And so that's a core piece for sure. Um, 
And then, you know, the other sort of side effect is just getting a network of people that you can know and trust because inherently we can't all be good at everything. And so it's very nice to have this ability to, you know, someone, someone asked me about the, the fact that they're struggling with marketing or leadership, or they don't know how to write a contract or like any of that. It's really nice to be able to say, Hey, I know exactly who you should talk to. And so you get this nice dual benefit where you can help people that are early, not always early, maybe they've been doing it for a while, but have some, you know, have some gaps that they need help with. You can help them out from the community standpoint and get them further along and also just have a nice network of, of other folks that you can trust. And so it, to me, it was like a really great mix of those two things. Join us online via Zoom at the Growthcraft Startup Community Founders Forum each third Tuesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Look, advisors and founders, we're, we're all in this together. Building relationships with your peers and entrepreneurship is just as important as connecting with experts and advisors. Each month, every third Thursday, we'll meet online via Zoom to share ideas, get support, support each other, and talk about universal issues that nearly all startups share. We'll celebrate our victories, chat about challenges, and then break out into small groups to address a timely topic of interest. It's a great way to meet like-minded entrepreneurs. Check out the links to the third Tuesday events on the Growthcraft website and join us at the Growthcraft Startup Community Founders Forum in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to right now. What what about like what about the community? It's like so I, I guess I, I'm gonna ask you a question about the 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 like the internal parts of it, right? So I, I and I believe me, so all three of us here are are part of this community. So we all have our own versions our mentalities, whatever, right? So we all, and we all got involved involved for different reasons, I would imagine. Even if they're similar, they're probably, because we're all selfish to a certain degree. But let me, I, I kind of want to ask a question about the the use of the actual community, right? So right now, Growth Growthcraft has X number of members. We, we, we don't need to say the number, but we do know that there's, and it's growing. How do you feel, how do you think that your participation in the 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 community works like how do you feel like how come this i'm not sure how to word this question which is why i'm stumbling a little bit because i'm i wanted to find out like like is this like a q a thing for you like can you are you going to be able to just answer a bunch of questions in there are you are you looking to um like cherry pick like how do i help the the most amount of help i can get like out of it like my time's limited, so I need to be most impactful to as as like a few people or like how do you see that happening for you and within internally in the community? I that's think, kind of a loaded question. I know. I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. I think <laughs> I think it's a mix, honestly. So I think there are specific questions that I'd love to just jump in and answer and save people tons of time and going down, you know, I made plenty plenty of face plants over the years and just kind of save people sure. from that. Um, but I think. Yeah, I just um, don't know. <laughs> we're gonna call we're gonna call that a complete loss of thought. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it might be the way I asked the question. I, I really so don't. <laughs> no, you're good. I had I did have a really important point there. I think, but okay. Well, you 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 impressed me as a careful guy, right? Um, you know, in our interactions um, and in the interactions that I've had with you in the larger advisor group, right? Um, when we're discussing issues or topics or whatever, you don't strike me as a person who's just talking to be talking. 
um you yeah. strike me as a person who's very careful in your speech um which is good you know i i, I definitely appreciate that um you talk about face planting, you talk about experiences. Um, to me, it sounds like one of the things that you might be um, chasing in that community is quality control, right? But but for that startup, right? For that founder, right? Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of things a founder can focus on. There's a lot of areas a founder can focus on. Uh, initially, it seems like, obviously, you're going to focus on all of them all at one time, right? And you're going to pull all the levers at once, and try to prevent the machine from rattling apart. But then at a certain point, you've got to really figure out that, hey, this one thing that I do here, I really need to focus on. Otherwise, the rest of this doesn't work. And then it's, how do I give away all of these other things? How do I go to scale, right? Mm -hmm. Let me frame the community question in this way. If I'm coming into the community as a startup founder who has come from a background of being an employee, right? And has zero clue of how to sort of not focus on anything that's not this one precious thing that I like to do. And I'm not saying that like what you'd like to do is precious. I'm saying this is the thing I really enjoy and I really want to keep doing this. And maybe I also want to get paid around it. How can Chris help me in that community? How how can what what advice can he give me? What perspective can he give me? You know, um, if I am to your point, just starting out, right? Way better of a form formation formed question, by the way. <laughs> We're getting into a flow here. We're in a flow. Yeah. We're flowing. <laughs> I would. I broke your flow, didn't I? No, you're all oh, right. No, you're, you're fine. fine. I love so. No, I love having silence on podcasts. I really do because it, it. The listeners go, "Wait, did the, did the thing stop?" No, yeah. people are just thinking. Didn't stop. Didn't stop. <laughs> we're, we're actually thinking, and you're not just uh, you're not just spouting things <laughs> off the top of your head, right? So, I, I mean, I think I think inherently a couple things. So, if you are building a product per se, of which software is the product, there's a big tendency to overbuild, and so there's if you're self-funded or if you are have some investment, whether that's friends and family or money you saved up or whatever. Um, you can make some major, major mistakes that cost a lot of money. And so I think the biggest thing out of the gate is like, are you building the right thing and giving examples on how to do some of those types of things? Um, and, you know, do you need to build for a scale of millions of people right away? And the answer is always no to that, but people forget. And they think about like, I have to do this because I heard Netflix does it or, you know, just like little, little stuff like that, that just all those district, all those little things add up to something that's like, it's, it's just going to cost a ton of money and a ton of time. And you're going to end up just redoing everything that you put so much work into. And so a lot of it is saving people time. Again, when I say face plants, that's the type of stuff that it's like, don't go down this road that you don't need to type of stuff. Other times it might be like, like you said, of someone that's doing something similar and that doesn't even need to be related to the industry I'm in. They're starting a solo consulting practice and they're curious how to scale it. And they've, you know, how do you do that? And like, what challenges do you hit? And how different is it when you're managing a team of 20 plus people versus just yourself? I mean, those, those are all big, big shifts. And it's funny because that, for example, has shifts along the way. And so you get to five, it's a totally different company. And you get to 10, it's a totally different company. And it's like that type of stuff, you don't really know till you go through it. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I could probably help people that way too. I don't have all the answers by any stretch, but yeah, I'll give my perspective on it. Well, I'm just going to call the podcast a failure right now because I thought Chris was going to have all of the answers. 
Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Now we started with the, the only answer, which was office space. <laughs> it was just the office space, That's right? right. Office space That's is the right. Only answer. Just watch that movie. Um, okay, I'm going to ask one other question, then I'm going to let let's help oh, he's got a stapler uh those of you who can't see it um <laughs> um okay i want to ask one other follow-up question and then i'm gonna let tom jump in here because there's something that you that that struck me inside of what you were saying um but it's this idea of software bloat so because software is so malleable from a developer's perspective and because it's it's just so easy to go to a GitHub and grab something and, and hook it on to solve a problem, right? Or to make something look nice or to fulfill some sort of aesthetic, right? Um, that maybe the customer doesn't need, but it's easy to go get because as a developer, you know where to go get that. The temptation in software is to go towards bloat. Um, yeah. You know, gosh, I mean, Microsoft, notorious for this. We are just talking about Microsoft and, and Activision and the Activision acquisition before we came on a little bit um, because I have some questions about that. And if anybody's listening to the podcast and can answer those questions, I would appreciate it. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but you see that in, in companies like Microsoft. Um, you see that with you know products like Windows, my God. Um, just nonsense. It's just tacked on, tacked on, tacked on. And some of it is to appease different departments like legal, marketing, um, you know, whoever. And it has nothing to do with the actual operation of the system for right. the end user or for the end user's experience. Okay. So I'm sort of using that as a background to ask this question. The easiest way it seems to me to avoid the bloat in software uh, or software project and to keep it simple is to bootstrap because you mentioned money, right? So do you like working with folks more with folks who are bootstrapping or people who are funded or self-funded? Um, which do you prefer or um, do, you, do you have a preference or does it matter? It doesn't matter. Um, obviously, depending on the size of what we're doing, mm -hmm. money becomes a factor. You know, mm -hmm. if it's a really large project, it's, it's a lot harder to be bootstrapped. But at the same time, it depends on how you're defining it. And so someone can like the best thing that someone can do is to try to create some level of proof of concept before you go make this whole thing. And, you know, we do this a little bit in a discovery phase, typically on projects, but it's like to figure out, like, should you be building what you think you should be building? Because inherently you make a ton of assumptions and they're usually not all correct. And you need to validate that those are right. And that people actually care before you go make them all. And so the best thing you can do is to try to tease that out. And a prototype can be done, a proof of concept prototype. You can interchange those two things. You can do that in Keynote. You can do that in Figma. It doesn't have to actually be code, which is really interesting because then you can get and you can actually put something in front of people and say like, hey, here's a thing that we're considering doing. Like, what do you think? And how would you use it? And you can almost do this kind of user testing for something that's very low effort to create in order to either raise money or understand that the money that you're going to invest is worth investing versus just going and doing it because you think it's a good idea. So do, so do you actually help them validate it from a perspective of like, so you're going to, you're going to help, you're going to build this prototype or, you know, in, in Figma or what, whatnot. And do you help them find the people to yay or nay this, or do you build it and then they just go do that on their own or, or both? I do that along the way. And so during discovery, we try to have a, a set of that. We try to lean on people to get some sort of some initial folks together that they trust that they can, we can start by sort of validating with them. 
um, there's a lot of options and there's some of them are paid, some of them are free to, to get that to a wide variety of people and get specific feedback. So you can ask questions. You can say like, here's a scenario, go do it. Like, like focus groups and stuff like that. Through. Yeah. Yeah. And just use that data to drive decisions and, you know, just, and we, we take that all the way through, do that in design. We do that in, even in engineering, we'll sometimes create a feature that we think based on all this other stuff is valid, but the actual coding of that feature takes so much time that we need to be absolutely sure. And we'll put it as a feature that someone can click on and say, Hey, we're working on this. It's not fully finished yet. Uh, do you want to be notified when it's done? And you get these indicators of, yes, someone clicked a button, they're interested. Someone also said that they want to know when it comes out, they're really interested. And if you have enough of a sample set, you can use that data to say like, absolutely, whatever this costs to, to create. Build, build it. And so, yeah, like validating all along the way is, is a very, very good way to save time and money for sure. Got it. And prevent some of that bloat. And sometimes, like you said, hey, son, the, the bloat, <laughs> if you just sign off on every feature that comes through the door, like if that's where, that's where you end up. Um, and it may not matter. Well, that, that just, that just has somebody that has way too much money on their hands. And if they don't know where I live, I'll give them my address. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's looking for a rich uncle as we all are. Absolutely. <laughs> um, one other question that I have, and then we, we're, we're kind of coming around the corner to a, a little bit of our, a little bit of a close here. So I want to wrap up with, a, or I want us to wrap up with a couple of things, but yeah. One other question that sort of floats around in discussions of developer-led projects is, and I see this a lot, technical founder versus non-technical founder, um, or even worse, uh, technical founder, non-technical co-founder, right? Yeah. Now, often what you see in sort of that pairing is the founder who has a developer background, right? Understands how to build a product, mm -hmm. understands the validation, understands the discovery, um, maybe kind of understands how to do the hack, can go in there and mash the code around or go grab a solution from someplace and figure out how everything locks together. Uh, they have the specialty knowledge, right? Right. But they don't understand a thing about sales or marketing. Yep, very common. <laughs> or legal <laughs> or HR. <laughs> and so they get frustrated that, that technical founder does because now their, their project has bloated out. They need more people or they just need one other person to handle the weight of that. Uh, Cause they don't want to go talk to the money guys or they don't want to go talk to sales or whatever. And they're scrambling around and they go grab a non-technical person. Now you've got a non-technical person with a technical founder, both going to the market together with this product. Mm-hmm. These and, and this is and I have a background in conflict management and a background in negotiation and this is usually where I get called in because there's usually problems and issues. Yeah. Um. How would you advise a technical founder and a non-technical founder in that situation? Um. Just as an example, um. You know, how would you advise them to get through the the hurdles of of growing together? Um. Because I I presume you've had these you've had these challenges as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Join the GrowthCraft startup community online via Zoom each first Tuesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time for Expert Tuesdays. With Expert Tuesdays, you'll hear from one of our top-notch expert advisors and thought leaders in an informative workshop or presentation focusing on a topic important to emerging and growing companies. 
From sales and marketing to storytelling and leadership, in this hour-long monthly session, you will be able to connect with the GrowthCraft community, advisors, founders, and others. And you'll learn entrepreneurship skills you can apply to your startup project uh, right now. Check out the links to the GrowthCraft website to join us on Expert Tuesdays in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to right now. And thanks. I would say the biggest thing you can do is kind of like learn the overlap. So understand more about, and this is not, this is easier said than done, but understand more what this person is doing rather than saying like, that's their box, but they just do that thing. And like, I, I don't know about it. And so it's from someone that's non-technical, understanding a little bit of what's going on in the code or the deploy pipeline or any, it doesn't have to be all of it, just pieces of it so that you start to understand a little more where, where someone of that mindset is coming from. And from the technical side, it's like, the way that I always look at, I look at it this way with anytime I'm talking to a potential client too, you start very, very high level unless they're curious about the tech geeky stuff. And then you dive down, you know, but until they show you that they actually care about that, assume that they don't. And so the best way for the two to communicate is to don't think about only the tech piece of it or only the the product piece, but think about how everything comes together to, to make it all work. And understand that that person is more of an expert in this area because you're really good over here doesn't necessarily mean you're really good over there and that's why you're paired together so just kind of embrace that and try to try to try to get as big of a middle ground as you can in terms of understanding and i think i think to me that that's the best way to smooth those things over it's not perfect and it takes work for sure but can, can i can i just add to that too though chris like because there's something to be said about the technical founder being able to explain it at a, at a level where somebody non-technical can understand it because in the long term that ends up helping in sales and marketing where you can actually relay this information without literally having ones and zeros behind it. Right. Because technical white papers or I mean, unless an engineer is selling to an engineer, which very rarely, very rarely happens. Those white papers are going to be useless. If you're making a product for developers, then great. (laughs) Get then great. Right. But if you're selling it to the masses, you as a developer being able to talk to a non-technical co-founder and explaining them that it to them well enough where they can then regurgitate it to say their family or their friends as to what they do. That is a big deal. That's a, that, and I don't, I don't think people take enough credit or enough weight to how important that could potentially be. Right. And those, those conversations can be vitally important. So uh, with that, I think we, probably need to wrap up, right? Hassan, do you want that last question on the bottom or you want me to take it? No, you go ahead and take it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. So the last question we have for you, Chris, is how do uh, how do people find you? What do they look like? How are they going to get into contact with you and or throughout all that? Is there anything that you would like to promote out for yourself? Like, are you in having speaking engagements going on? Uh, where do you showcase your area of expertise? Like, how, how does that look to you and, and give people a, like, how, how do they find you and how do they know about you? So I'm probably going to start picking up speaking in the fall. Again, I've taken a little bit of time, time away from that. So I have nothing, nothing on that to, to promote, but echobind.com, it would be the best place to go. So E-C-H-O-B-I-N-D. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the best place to kind of learn about what, what we do. Me specifically, um, happy to always chat with anyone and pretty, pretty easy to find <laughs> starting from there. I'm pretty easy to track down. So 
Oh, yeah. and, and if you remember none of this, if you just come to GrowthCraft, Chris is, Chris is here with us. So exactly. you, know, you got that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will have links to, to Echobind. We'll have links to uh, Chris's LinkedIn profile um, and, and any other places where Chris happens to be wandering across the wide ranging uh, fields oh, of the internet really out of date <laughs> <laughs> we're going to post all the out of date stuff yeah. and then you can track his uh, his footprints across the internet um, such as it were to get in contact with him um, if you would like to book him for uh, for speaking engagements or for other opportunities or just to find out uh, more about Echobind and about uh, the Growthcraft startup community of which Chris is a proud member I want to thank Chris for coming on the podcast today uh, this was a great conversation. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Appreciate and of course, and of <laughs> course, with that, we're out. Peace. Each second Thursday at three thirty p.m. Eastern Time, join GrowthCraft live and in person at Second Thursdays at CIC, located at One Broadway, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Located at Kendall Square, CIC features the most engaging entrepreneurial community in the Northeast, right next to MIT and minutes from Harvard University and downtown Boston. With 250,000 square feet of professionally managed, flexible workspace, CIC has every office amenity you could possibly need to scale your startup project. For those of you who are local, or if you're just visiting Boston, GrowthCraft advisors and founders can meet others in our community face-to-face. Join us for an informal social and informational get together. Meet others, chat with advisors and peers, make connections, and then stay for Venture Cafe starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern every second Thursday at CIC. Check out the links to the GrowthCraft website to join us live and in person at Second Thursdays at CIC in the show notes below the podcast player you're listening to uh, right now. And thanks 